You're listening to Startup Acquisition Stories, a podcast featuring the stories of startup founders and buyers who have successfully gone through an acquisition process using Acquire.com, the world's number one startup acquisition marketplace. To date, Acquire.com has helped thousands of startups get acquired and facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. Here's your host, Andrew Gostecki. All right, I'm here with Alex, the founder of My Ask AI. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Andrew? Doing great. So you were telling me before we started recording that you've had three startups acquired on Acquire. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you guys make it super easy to sell businesses, so can't take all the credit. But um, I guess once you get going and you start to understand how it works a little bit now, you can sort of package up these businesses and build these things quite quickly and understand the traction points needed to sell, then it can become quite repeatable. At least that's what we found. I can tell the results speak for themselves. So I guess uh, I'd love to just take a moment for people listening. Do you want to give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. So I've been in technology for my entire career. That's kind of 10 plus years. Started life actually as a consultant in Accenture in London. Worked there for about seven years, learned a ton there, but eventually, you know, I always had this kind of burning desire to do my own thing. So I eventually kind of left the machine, left the big corporate and started my own travel startup, raised a bit of money. And then we ended up getting crushed by the pandemic because we were focused on travel. And obviously that was a really tough spot to be in for a couple of years. But interestingly, at the back of that, I got into indie hacking and kind of building these micro businesses, like you kind of mentioned before, and just got on a bit of a roll with a few of these. And they've all kind of led me to the next one, led me to the next one. And now it's just put me into being obsessed with and, and totally focused in the AI space, which is where I'm at now. Nice. I love that. Let's talk about the first acquisition that you went through on Acquire. I'm sure as each acquisition went, you learned something. Yeah. The process was easy the second time and the third time that's usually how even just building startups go um what was the first uh startup that got acquired yeah so it's it's quite a random idea i mean i actually developed it during my paternity leave we were talking about our kids at the beginning of this uh, my my little girl was born about a year ago that was in summer just as the pandemic was starting to fade away and travel restrictions were opening up. So everyone in the UK at least was trying to get their passports renewed because it all elapsed over the kind of two years in COVID because no one needed them. So there was this crazy rush for passports and no one could get appointments. And I realized that from done some basic web scraping stuff before that I could ping these appointment sites with with a government passport service and find out when appointments are available, where they are, and these kind of things. So I quickly spun up a kind of quite simple consumer kind of SaaS product that would allow people basically to get alerts for when appointments came out for passport renewals. And this was in super high demand and it just took off. And at its peak, we were doing about a thousand plus dollars a day, just piling money into Google ads as well, because it's just a brilliant strategy, at least for that business. Hasn't always worked out with other ones, but it just really took off. But obviously it was quite seasonal. We managed to kind of capitalize on that and package it up in a nice enough way that it could be rolled out to other regions, other countries that were going through similar things. And then first experience on acquire.com, put it on there. And then I think within a month, month and a half, I had a buyer, an American in the UK who bought it. And I was just 
completely blown away by how quickly that all happened within the space of kind of three and a half months, like standing this thing up, getting to a decent revenue, revenue that I never got to with my previous startup where we raised over one and a half million dollars with a team of like 12 and then sold it. And this all happened in three months. I was just like, wow, like, what is this world? Like, this is pretty cool. That's an efficient business. Congrats. Also a great use case too, just in general, helping people go see their families again, you know, that's awesome. Okay, so let's move on to the, what was the second startup that got acquired? Just after that first one, I got introduced to my current co-founder, a guy called Mike, and we started to bat a lot of ideas around. Initially, we were there to meet up and talk about freelancing, but we, we never got on to speaking about that. We just got tons of ideas in our head and we're both very similar people. So we've just like, you know, screw freelancing. Let's just go and build out our own ideas and just run with a couple of things. So we started playing in the AI space when the GPT-3 AI APIs were coming out from OpenAI and it was all becoming a lot more accessible. And the first use case that we came to, maybe questionable ethics, but it was a, a tool to help students write their university applications in the UK, which is called a UCAS statement. Um, and the kind of generic generative model was fairly average. And when we started to train the model on a bunch of examples, we realized that we could create this really powerful, quite unique tool to create these pretty bespoke and high quality um, university applications. We, we actually wrestled with OpenAI a few times because we were like right in the gray area of like what's acceptable for, for doing with generative AI, at least when they when they were coming out with it. Um, and we suddenly paused and thought, okay, maybe the bigger opportunity here is actually with the fine tuning because Fine-tuning an AI model is quite a difficult, complex process. It's a little bit tricky, uh, but it can kind of 10x, 5x your results in terms of the quality outputs. So we thought we'll put a pin in the kind of consumer-facing business, this UCAS uh, statement writer, and we'll list that on acquire.com. Maybe it can be some seed capital for this next business. And we very quickly moved on to another one straight after that. And to just jump in straight on that, Basically, it was a tool to allow people to fine-tune AI models with no code. So you could literally get a CSV, spreadsheet, load of examples of what you want to create. You put them into the tool, and then it will train a GPT-3 model behind the scenes for you with no code. And then you can start to leverage that to write emails, write tweets, write university statements, reports, whatever it was your business or you did, you could you could kind of create these much quicker. So we very quickly jumped from that first idea into this other one. Nice. I love how you capitalized on just... Chat GPT and uh, just a general AI trend. I really wish this tool, specifically the one where you could write papers, was available for me when I was in college. I've actually seen professors recommending that you write papers in in AI. That's a whole other conversation that we have, but it kind of feels like uh, it's not going away. It's a tool that no. everyone should know how to use. Reminds me of like typing classes when I was in elementary <laughs> school, but that's a conversation for, for another time. So, okay. So three acquisitions. Okay. Uh, that is awesome. How did, um, let's, let's start with maybe just some of the learnings. Um, Cause a lot of people listening to this are probably looking to you know, sell their business or potentially, you know, buy a startup. Uh, how did you position these with buyers to attract the most interest? What are maybe like some initial, and we'll go down like the timeline um, from interest to due diligence to transfer. What are some yeah. of like the things you think you did really right when you were speaking with buyers or positioning it when buyers reached out after signing an NDA? Um, yeah. how, did, how did that initial phase go and how did you handle it? So I think the first thing was that I definitely learned through each of the three stages was the timing, 
in terms of creating the listing and by that i mean you know, how much traction did we have when we put the listing together the the ucas the university statement writer one was actually one that sold last even though that was listed on the platform for maybe two or so months and the main reason for that is when you compare it to the other ones is the traction was it was a good proof of concept from a technology standpoint um, and we only really launched it and ran with it for a couple of weeks. The revenue was basically nothing, a couple of hundred dollars. So we felt like, hey, this is a good enough proof point for people that want to kind of take this tech and then use it in other applications. But looking back and comparing it to the other two sales, it's like that doesn't really fill a buy with confidence that you've only run this thing for a couple of weeks and generated a few hundred dollars. Like that doesn't really prove that much the buyer that ended up did buying it was really interested in the technology pattern so i think we got a little bit lucky with that side of things and they weren't really buying it for the kind of revenue generating like normal traction uh, metrics that you would expect so that's one thing timing you know don't don't put it on there too early get a get the right amount of traction especially revenue i think that's just like probably the most important metric on the platform and for most of the buyers and certainly from all the questions that i've ever received across all the listings it always comes down to the money what you're making and eventually the margins and stuff so the timing was an important one the second one was i think just being making the making the listing really simple and trying to answer a lot of the questions that you're going to get as part of the kind of initial due diligence process, like as they're signing NDAs, that process as that's going on, you can answer a lot of those questions already. I think just by trying to put the buyer's hat on, trying to think, you know, if you knew absolutely nothing about your business, it's always a really hard thing to do as a founder. But if you know nothing about your business, you know, what am I not explaining to people? You know, really explaining it in the most simple way possible, breaking out the tools you use, the different cost bases within the product and all these types of things as well, how you're getting your users and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I definitely got much better with each sale at crafting, you know, still a concise listing because we're not going to put in like tons of information, but one that was super simple, kind of almost felt dumbed down. But I think it worked much better like that um, and just broke everything down into kind of nice neat blocks of the product tower was built, the growth and the, the acquisition mechanics, the costs, the revenue, the traction, that kind of stuff, and all the kind of key areas of the business. So I think those are probably looking back the big learnings for that very early phase. Yeah. Yeah, that I would agree with 100% in terms of just the the preparation, really, because during an acquisition, like your your main job as the owner of the business is to close the knowledge gap for buyers, make it really easy to understand what is your tech stack? How are you growing? Uh, obviously, what are your financials? Just some more information you can give to buyers, the more interest you're going to get by a lot. Because the other option is they have to, you know, ask for it in advance. And then if you're slow to respond, or that's kind of a signal of what the whole acquisition process is going to be like. So I really like how, you know, just keeping it simple and making it really easy for buyers to wrap their head around your business, which, you know, you might think is easy because you're operating it every day. But yeah. for a buyer looking at it for the first time, they're going to have questions and the more you can prepare in advance for those questions or just think through them, it's just going to make your life and then the buyer's life um, a lot easier and then also increase your chances of, you know, selling, getting acquired. So I, I like that. So now that, um, you know, you found your buyer, um, how, how did you, let's say, you know, vet or verify or choose or pick um, the right buyer? What made you comfortable with each acquisition? So you don't have to name the name of the person, but what qualities do you look for in buyers? Um, 
just to make sure that when you sign a letter of intent that it actually mm-hmm. closes, that acquisition doesn't, you know, fall through midway. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, look, we definitely had some uh, acquisition uh, buyers where LOIs were signed and we felt like we got super far along and more and more DD was shared and then they kind of suddenly fall off the radar. Um, but I think looking back, that could have probably quite easily been seen and I could have probably teased, teased that out a little bit early through some conversations. So, so your question is like, there's some basic things like the verified funds badges I think are really important one like if someone's speaking to me with a verified funds badge then I'm instantly going to take them like 10 times more seriously as a buyer for sure um, so any kind of buyer badges that they have on the profile then that's just going to elevate them straight away beyond that I'm really just kind of looking at the trying to put it in a kind of polite way but you know like the intelligence of their questions if if I feel like they have a grasp on, on what it is they were selling and, and the kind of basics of running a business and they're asking the right questions about how we're acquiring customers, you know, what those unique economics look like, what are the margins on the revenue that we've listed there. So it's not just like losing money or barely making any money. They're starting to dig in with a few of those kind of slightly more educated questions that maybe this isn't the first time they've done this or they've got a bit of a business hat on. Then again, I'm going to take them a lot more seriously and probably be a lot more inclined to sign the LOI and share a lot more information with them and then ultimately spend, you know, the time working with that individual versus someone who's asking you know, a bunch of un- unrelated questions clearly hasn't read the listing and, you know, maybe is sapping you for, for information or just like wasting the time. And obviously as a founder, you've always just got to be careful of people trying to waste your time. So yeah, if they're asking intelligent questions and that's going to kind of push them up there and make you engage a bit more. I, I like that too. And, Cause it's a two way street, you know, cause the person that you sell to, there's going to be due diligence. There's going to be a transition plan usually where you're gonna have to work with this individual and if they're asking questions that maybe are off base or you just don't feel like they're the right person to own the business it could save you a huge headache because if you sell to someone who maybe just doesn't understand space or it's a really technical project and they're not technical those should all be things if they're concerns you should discuss all those things and um what i always recommend too is uh before even signing an LOI, have a pre-LOI call just hey we're going to sign this let's review due diligence as a plan again what are we going to do how long is it going to take just to really kind of confirm you have a plan and going into due diligence because it just increases your chances of of the deal closing and another tip that uh i've seen work really well um in terms of verifying buyers and making sure that you know they're the correct one is um if they previously acquired a business you can ask for references like do you have anyone i could speak to what is it like working with you that's entirely appropriate because again it's a two-way street i'm going to be potentially you know selling my business to you and you say xyz i'd like to just verify that um so just a a tip there okay so you you found you found the buyers and now you move into uh due diligence how did you go through um due diligence how did you think about it how did it work out with the buyers yeah so i'm fortunate in that come from a background where I've raised money before, spoken to investors, had to put together data rooms for for previous businesses, you know, data room for listeners who don't know, you know, essentially a collection of all your important documents as a business from your financials to your pitch text to sales pipelines, whatever is relevant to you, but basically, you know, a bit of a dump from all your internal systems and, and, and knowledge repos. 
So I had some experience putting these things together and knowing what makes a good data room. Obviously, these weren't as sophisticated as ones who were trying to raise, you know, much larger amounts of money. Um, but the core components of answering all the questions about how you uh, how you're acquiring your customers, what are some of those economics look like in terms of your cost if you're running Google Ads, maybe some exports of some of the campaigns you've done there on Facebook, for instance, that kind of stuff. Obviously, your financials, whether you're tracking that yourself or in my business's case, always Stripe. We always just had the latest Stripe extract. It was a little bit cleaned up and organized with some charts as well. So buyers could just jump in and, and see all of that data and even play around with themselves. And we, we had to do a share and link basically instead of giving them Stripe access or anything like that. So there's a lot of putting those kind of documents together, which were probably more data heavy, kind of numerical heavy in general, to be honest with you, because I felt like those are the kinds of questions and conversations that we got into most. And then the only other topic aside from that, where there was always a lot of interest was, yeah, like where is the technology? Where is it all based? What's it written and this kind of stuff, but how are you going to hand it over? And then the big question, which I think is one of the biggest variables, which maybe I didn't think about enough. And I wonder if a lot of buyers think about enough is, is a way to, to change your sale prices around how much support you're going to provide after the sale. Um, maybe you want to cut clean and just sell the business and not provide much support. Uh, but I think you'll be surprised where a lot of the time I found with buyers that we didn't sell to, but a lot with the buyers that we did sell to is they're really interested in what you know about the space. And most of the time they want to keep you on board as a kind of advisor, consultant, even at a low kind of rate or amount of days per month or something, possibly indefinitely, possibly for six months, something like that. They want to keep the relationship going because they see you as a really important uh, kind of lever to keep improving the product. If they feel like they can fund the marketing expansion and, and do the sales side of it, they see you staying on and, and doing a bit of a product role within that. So it's just an interesting model that I didn't really think about uh, when I first started using the platform because I just thought it would be like a straight up, just here are the assets, move on next. But I think a lot of buyers are looking for some handholding afterwards and maybe even a relationship. So yeah, if you're open to that, I think you can, you're going to increase the chances of a sale and, and you'll be able to up the price as well. I would, I would 100% agree with that. I would say almost 90% plus buyers will ask for some sort of transition period. And the reason for that is there's parts about your business that again, you know, you can't get through every detail, but when you finally actually own the business as a buyer, there might be a customer with a unique discount plan or something or a bug that can be fixed by you in five minutes, but it takes someone new two days to figure out how the whole system works. So just having the owner and then the theme of all this is just de-risking the acquisition. And that's key when you're when you're selling your business is Again, your job as a founder, the owner of a business when selling is really helping a buyer understand your business and then de-risking it for them in terms of, you know, having a plan of transferring the assets, creating a data room so they can understand the business and then, you know, post-acquisition, just letting them know that, you know, you're not just going to hand, hand over the keys of the car and then leave. You know, you'll still be available as just a safety net should the servers crash, should you lose access to some uh, service that you use to run the application. There's so many different edge cases like that. Um, so definitely, and the way you can, I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, make this work is, like you said, just a agreed upon transition period. It can be one month, it can be three months. And then after that, a consulting agreement where you have some sort of just hourly rate if needed. And you want to be really specific with that as well. So you don't 
get stuck with a consulting job full time. You know, maybe it's 10 hours a month or something like that. So yeah. uh, the buyer doesn't re rely on you unless you're okay with that. But typically that's what I've seen work um, really well for both buyers and sellers. Yeah, great. So um, now you got, you know, three acquisitions on your belt and um, you know, it sounds like all of them went, you know, really you built a good product you got customers and that's really what people are looking for product market fit you found it uh you successfully went through due diligence three times that's you know quite the feat um what are what are like your top three tips to people you know looking to sell um a startup if they had nothing they knew nothing about acquire like what are maybe the three things you would say to you have to get these things right yeah i think first two points may contradict a little bit but the first one is linked to my previous point which is around timing is you need to have some kind of numerical objective traction that a buyer with no knowledge of your business or space or belief around the hype or vision that you have or all the potential that you may see in your business if you strip all that away they need to be able to see some hard, some hard cold facts about the amount of money you've made the growth of those over a period of i would say at least kind of three to six months but even you know in general i think with your platform you're kind of looking for for the last 12 months is like a really important metric for businesses so i think waiting to get to that point um is crucial and and you know you can if you list too early i guess you can pull it down and you can list again um but i think you'll benefit from kind of strengthening the business and thinking about okay what am i going to get challenged on here like i'm spending way too much on paid ads and the conversion's terrible like that's going to be a difficult sell when it comes to speaking with a buyer, if you can focus on improving a couple of those key areas and kind of beginning to think about how this thing is going to be packaged up and presented and answering those questions in advance, um, then I think you're going to do much better. So yeah, I think there are just some fundamental traction points that are required if you're going to sell on, on acquire.com. And I think I saw you mention this to a buyer recently, but you, know, you, do, you do let some pre-revenue or very early revenue businesses go on but they're kind of an they're a bit of an edge case or an exception, and in general, you look for for people that have a little bit more solid traction. So, partly platform policy from you guys, but obviously that's done with a reason that you have the knowledge and view across all these acquisitions. You know what works, right? And you can know we, that financial we, can, traction works. Can we pause on that one? The the yeah. pre revenue ones. Those ones break my heart when we list them because if you just get a few customers, going back to the theme of de-risking the business, when when buyers get most excited about a business it's because product market fit has been found you found a way to get customers it's been proven people are using the product and so you get way more buyer interest and it doesn't have to necessarily be a lot of customers but just a handful enough to give feedback about the product are using the product and then your sale price is so much higher if you're able to just get a few customers because without that you're there's so many assumptions of do people actually want this will they ever buy it if there's you know maybe a, a month of just customers using it will they continue using it or will they, will they cancel so you really can't if you just take, you know, two months and just prepare your business for sale, you know, really try to focus on sales and marketing, really de-risk the business. You can sell it for so much more than if it has yeah. no revenue, but uh, we see a lot of them. So we we list them, but we're, we're picky in terms of it has to be a really 
a strong product that we feel that uh, could benefit another business or something like that. But I, I agree with you. If, you know, if you're able to just get a few customers compared to zero, yeah. uh, you'll get so much more interest from buyers and it'll make the acquisition yeah. process easier. Yeah, definitely. And I think point number two you know, might contradict that slightly, but, you know, you see a lot of builders Indie hackers always a bit worried about launching on product time, for instance, you know, got to get things perfect, got to get things right, got to launch at the right point. Um, but I think a lot of them probably launch too late and there's so much you can learn from just putting it out there. And I think the same can be said from Acquire. You will get a lot of really interesting questions from a bunch of buyers as long as your business isn't like, you know, totally uninteresting with, you know, zero traction. You'll probably end up speaking to a few buyers and you'll start to understand what buyers are interested in, what parts of the business they want to scrutinize and where they view the weak points. And I don't think there's any downside. You may say differently as the platform owner, but you know, if you go back and it doesn't work out and you know you get grilled on how you're acquiring customers or the margins, then you know you can delist, you can start to work on those areas of the business and you can come back again and, and relist and go for it again. So you know you'll learn a lot from from any listing exercise, even with a kind of small level of interest from buyers, you'll start to get some interesting questions questions and just start to understand how the platform works a bit so yeah don't hold off on it too long like with all new things you just got to kind of take a plunge some time and list your business and if you get no interest like we thought about this with my me and my co-founder before i think we've listed one that they didn't get really any interest and didn't sell and we thought this thing was a great idea and people are going to buy it and they're going to be interested because of the timing with it and some other trends happening and it just didn't really get anywhere and that was a kind of really important just like realization for us, just like, okay, we were living in a bit of a bowl. Like, let's just get back to work on either something else or make huge improvements to what we're doing. So I think there's a huge opportunity to like take some some real world learnings from just like putting your business out and trying to sell it as well yeah i mean even even okay let's say you're at um you know pre-revenue here's what i would do like list it on product hunt list it on a few startup directories talk about it online a little bit create some sort of you know any sort of traction it could be free users just anything anything because that really helps buyers understand is there excitement around this what is the potential and all that is unknown until you do that and when a buyer does buy a pre-revenue startup, they're going to do all those things for you. They're going to put it on product hunt. They're going to talk to potential users. Like they're going to figure out how to get those customers. And if you can figure out how to just create that small spark, it really does help a buyer kind of visualize, okay, well, this works over here. Obviously it's not a company doing millions in revenue, but there's potential to get there or whatever the number might be, but just some sort of like roadmap, like, here's what people said about the product or their feedback um, can really make the difference between this is just a product I built and this is a product I built, but here's what users are saying or my handful of paying customers. So that's why I always say, just spend like a little bit of time, just getting a little bit of outside traction. Cause yeah. then you could share that with buyers as you know, you, you're buying product market fit here to some degree of whether um, you have paying customers or users or whatever it might be. But just that traction is really what, draws buyers in my experience yeah yeah definitely agree i guess final or final tip would probably be just we spent quite a bit of time looking at your docs looking at previous interviews you've done videos um looked at previous listings as well looked at other listings rather and we got a pretty quick sense of like what a listing entails what what is a good listing what is a bad listing um and i think it's actually quite easy to stand out and create a really strong listing if you just spend 
I wouldn't even say a huge amount of time like putting your listing to, listing together. I'm sure you see a lot of it, but a lot of listings feel like they've been put together like very, very quickly. Um, so I think with a little bit of effort and like structure within your listing and how it's organized and how it's put together, you think through the big areas within a business going going back to the, like what is the what is the growth like what is the product what is the technology stack like what are the kind of core components of the business and kind of spelling those out and letting them out i don't know but i'd have a theory that it would put you in the kind of top like 15 10 percent if you just like kind of um logically and simply just like like put out these different areas and just explained the kind of core components of your business i just think you would yeah massively help like close that knowledge gap as you said for buyers yeah no i completely agree i think that includes any sort of metrics that you have do you know your customer acquisition costs do you know your lifetime value do you know your growth rate um how many free users do you have because that's an opportunity to convert them to paid uh just and then when it gets to growth opportunities, like really write growth opportunities out. Um, have you ever conducted a price increase? Have you ever, what have you done with marketing and sales? What's worked, what hasn't worked? Because that shows, again, all the knowledge that you have that a buyer can you know benefit from. Because a, a buyer doesn't want to go and run a marketing campaign that you tried and didn't work, you know, so that again, de-risk the business. So you don't send the buyer doesn't go in the wrong direction. There's enough information yeah. to say, okay, if I acquire this, I'm going to try and grow this. So just any sort of direction or tips to head in the right, right direction can, can help a lot. So I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess my last one, thanks for all those tips. Those are really, really good tips that I, I agree with entirely. Um, so I, I got to ask now you're, you're working on um, a new startup. Um, tell me about it. What is, what is it? What does it do? Um, yeah. So on the back of the fine tuning business, which was the last one that we sold, we started to learn about embeddings which is a kind of AI model or a technology that's provided by OpenAI and a bunch of the other big providers. And this came out just in the middle of when we were building this other business. And basically what it allows you to do is AI-powered semantic search, which is basically finding pieces of information that are similar to a question that you have or another piece of information and, and where it's really useful i'll kind of explain in a second but this new technology came out as we were building our other business and we just literally took a step back and were like this is game changing in terms of what what kind of capabilities you can unlock for businesses and for customers with this so that's why we actually sold the business because we just saw a bigger opportunity that was completely I mean, related, I guess, in the AI space, but fairly different. Um, and that's what drove us to sell it, not, not really anything else. It was just like, okay, we want to pivot to this bigger opportunity. And it's great that there are platforms like Acquire.com where you can kind of put a pin in the business you've built, sell it, get some seed cash, and bam, you know, you move on to the next one. So that was pretty cool. This new one now is called My Ask AI. We've been running it since about February or late February this year. And the basic concept is that you as a business can get all of your internal docs, all of your help docs, all of the information that's on your website, whether you provide a SaaS tool or an e-commerce site that sells, you know, fashion or clothing items, whatever. It can be a whole range of different types of businesses. You upload all of your content. The AI model will process all of this. Then you can basically talk or chat to your data and use a conversational interface and ask questions about all of the information on your site, all of the information in your company. With us, you can launch it on your website. You can integrate it within Slack, within Teams, within Zapier. You can do whatever you want and basically create this tool where anyone in your organization or anyone, any of your customers can ask a question 
about your entire organization, whatever it is that your business does, and get an answer in two or three seconds, it may be better than an answer that someone could have come up with it in the business. And there's obviously certainly much, much faster and more efficient than customer support team doing it or a data team digging out that answer or that internal comms team digging out that answer, whatever that might be. So hugely time attempt, time saving for, for people and for businesses that want to either uh, create a tool for customer service and launch it to their customers or create a tool for their colleagues and launch something internally, all with the goal of getting access to your content, getting answers, and basically leveraging this new technology like ChatGPT um, and, and leveraging that for your business. So yeah, that's what we're doing. I'm looking at this now. This is awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, I think we might actually use something like this. Uh, let me ask if this is a use case. So we have a lot of um, blog content. We've written about deal structures, how to finance an acquisition, uh, what is monthly recurring revenue, all the way to uh, you know how to make sure an LOI closes, pretty much everything about acquisitions and startups. Um, if we were to install this on, let's say, our blog, would it digest all the information and then we'd have kind of like a chat bot where instead of searching our blog for the right article, you could just ask a question like, what is a common deal structure or something like that? Is that correct? Yeah. That's exactly it. So when someone's setting up on the site, you would put in, you know, blog.acquire.com. If that's all the content you wanted to, to grab, we would scrape the entire site. We'd get all the articles, we'd ingest those and put them into the system. And you could create a chat bar on the back of that. You can brand it, give it the acquire.com blue, put in all your fonts, everything else, make it look and feel like it's really part of the site. And then embed it across the entire site or embed it across a, a couple of different pages. And as you say, the really important thing is the aim of it is to really replace search and to replace having to use tools like Intercom and other things that obviously take a huge amount of time away from a customer support team. Because as you know, like, Pretty much every answer that, pretty much every question that a customer asks you guys, you probably have the answer tucked away in some blog. You've probably written about it at some point. And maybe it's an answer that's amalgamated from a few blogs and it'll do that as well. So it's a really powerful piece of technology and for a business like yours, I mean, that's a really good use case. That is awesome. Well, Alex, congrats on the acquisitions and hopefully I'll get you back on here. Maybe not too soon, but... This, this business looks awesome. Um, and I'm not just saying that. Um, um, I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, if people want to learn uh, more about, you know, you or your story or um, more about uh, your your current startup, where can they find you? Yeah, so myaskai.com. You'll find a bit about me and my co-founder, but importantly, everything about the business. Sign up in minutes, sign up for free. Just check it out. Sounds good. I'll put that um, in the show notes. Well, Alex, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, congrats on all the acquisitions. I'm, I'm hoping, I think I got, I got a feeling this next one's going to be your biggest. So, um, hope so. Great for you. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Startup Acquisition Stories podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to like and follow on your preferred channel. If you know a friend or colleague that's thinking about selling their startup and don't know where to start, please share it with them. For more information on acquire.com and how we can help you start conversations with serious buyers with acquisition targets ranging from 50,000 up to 50 million or more, check us out at acquire.com. We'll see you next time.